Love the fishing metaphor. Snag my dad. Yes, there you go. If you were junior girl campers and Sandy was your counselor, by today she'd be going, good morning, good morning, good morning. Or good morning, Mary Sunshine. And by Friday they would say, oh, shut up. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry I said that. So she's a morning person. Anyway, good morning. Yes, she's really wanting to come up and do that. But I'm not going to let her. I'm just not going to let her get any, yeah, yes. All right, open your Bibles to the book of Malachi, chapter 2. Malachi, chapter 2. In your notes, there are three introductory comments. There are three blank spaces. The first one is called Creation. How God designed the family. Creation, God designed the family. You look back to Genesis chapter 1, and God made the heavens and the earth, and made everything that lives, all the creeping creatures and all the fish of the sea, and he made man in his image. And male and female made he them. He blessed them, he told them to be fruitful and to multiply, he gave them dominion over every living thing, he created marriage, and everything was very good. He created the family. The second blank is the curse. Sin made everything difficult. A perfect environment, relationship with their creator, and man had to mess it up. From his heart came a sinful reaction to not being satisfied, not trusting God, Adam not leading, Eve acting apart from her husband, Adam. They wanted more than God would give, and they wanted to be like him. So through an act of rebellion and defiance, they sinned and brought guilt and shame and hiding and fear and a curse, so we live in a fallen world with a sinful nature. And every mom and dad knows that because you have kids. Doesn't they long for them to reveal the sin nature that's in them? It brought pain and hardship. God cursed his work. God cursed her bearing of children. And God cursed relationship between a husband and a wife. So the, the battle of the sexes began in Genesis chapter 3. It says that her desire would be for her husband. Oh, yes, no, this is a bad desire. Like in Genesis chapter 4, the desire to rule and dominate and overthrow his leadership in the family. And his ruling over her would not be this loving headship. It would be the dominant dictator controlling, and so the conflict began. A book was written with sinners say, I do. And so that, everything was difficult with the curse. And marriage specifically was, is made difficult because of the old nature living within it. But Christ makes everything different. If you look at Ephesians chapter 5, a key passage on marriage, and you know that, Christ is the power and the pattern and the person that makes marriage successful. We do it for him and because of him and, and in him, Christ makes everything different. New creation in him, we talked about that this morning in devotions, and uh, so everything is different. So let's, let's look at the book of Malachi, and, and uh, I, want, I want to look at this chapter today. Now, I know this is not a marriage retreat. I understand that. Some of you are currently married. Probably most of you. This is directly for you. Some of you may be hopefully married someday and never too early to learn what it should look like. Some of you are content remaining single. Some of you are formally married, either by divorce or by death. But every believer ought to know how to defend and understand and to teach about marriage to counsel people, for new believers, for children, for those hoping currently married, we need to understand the teaching about marriage. There's some key passages about marriage, and of course, Genesis 1 to 3, Ephesians chapter 5, Colossians chapter 3, 1 Peter 3, you ought to read them and meditate on and seek to practice them by the grace of God. They will transform your life. We were first saved about 40 years ago. Um, we, had, we now had a Bible, and we, we just immerse herself into the Word of God and just believe that God would honor the application of His Word. 
And so by his spirit, we began to read it and apply it and made mistakes along the way, but God honors the understanding and application of his word. And those are key passages you need to understand them and apply them and bring them to mind in your marriage, and it will transform your life. And here's another one, Malachi chapter 2. The word Malachi means my messenger. He's the last of the prophets to the restored remnant. The theme of the book is the love of Jehovah and the sins of the people. Malachi gives the moral judgment of God on the remnant restored under Ezra and Nehemiah. He had established his house among them, but their worship was formal and insincere, and this led to this sad state of affairs in Malachi chapter 2. You're going to find all sorts of statements in here. Well, I, why is that? God gives a judgment. They go, well, well, why would that be? They had no clue why they were offending the Lord. So let's look in Malachi chapter 2, it's right before the book of Matthew, and see what the message to the people was. In Malachi chapter 2, and beginning, beginning in verse, and I've been talking too much and not paying attention here. Uh, let's begin in verse 10. Do we not all have one Father as God created us? Why do each of you deal treacherously each against his brother so as to profane the covenant of our Father? Judah has dealt treacherously in an abomination, has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem, and Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord which he loves and has married the daughter of a former God. And as for man who does this, may the Lord cut him off from the tents of Jacob, everyone who awakes and answers, who presents an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this is another thing that you have done. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and with groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. And yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But not one has done so who even have a remnant of the Spirit. And what did that one do while he was seeking a godly offspring? Take heed then to your spirit, let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. For I hate putting away, says the Lord, the God of Israel. Him who covers his garment with wrongs is the Lord of hosts, so take heed to your spirit, they do not deal treacherously. You have wearied the Lord with your words, and on it goes. So I want to look at this passage on marriage today, and some of it is hard stuff. Point number one, God was addressing the culture of the day. The culture of the day was that divorce was a common practice among the people of God. What a sad commentary on the culture of the day within Israel. They were just living like the pagans. It's called here putting away and divorcing their wives, and though this is not something new, it was something that was happening to a great extent. I remember uh, growing up uh, as a devoted Lutheran, uh, we were God-fearing people. We had a sense of right and wrong morality, probably led to criticism and judgmentalism and all the nasty stuff with that. But I remember that hearing one of my cousins got a divorce. But she was Catholic, so that wasn't quite as offensive to me. Then one of my Lutheran cousins got a divorce, and that was too close to home. I remember going to some seminars years ago as a young pastor, and this was a Christian counselor, and he taught me so much about marriage and family, it just transformed my thinking. And I, and I value everything that he taught me, even to this day. And then he literally ran off with his secretary and left his wife. We came to Bible college in faith uh, 40 years ago. We heard of a married student who the day he graduated from faith, his wife left him. And I said, not in my family. It's not going to happen here. Our daughter Amy told me in her late 20s, she said, Dad, there are already some of my classmates that are married and divorced already. And it's somewhat of an epidemic in, in fundamental, even Bible-believing people. And so letter B, um, 
it's a constant growing attack on the family. That's what's happening today. Now, this is not new to our generation, but it's ratcheted up. Every issue in our culture, I believe, is an attack on the family. Abortion, casual sex, living together, pornography, LGBTQ+, plus, plus. attacks on the nuclear family. In California, they propose a law to outlaw parenting. Uh, individualism, self-fulfillment, do what's convenient, worldly ambitions, the, fl- the eyes, the flesh, and the pride of life. It's everywhere. Our parents, our parents grew up in a day when there was cultural pressure to stay married. Uh, her mom got saved, uh, my dad got saved, my mom got saved, her dad likely died without the Lord as a Christian scientist, very devoted but they stayed together for the children. That was the theme of the day. You stayed married. If your marriage wasn't that great, you did it for the children. And it wasn't the best, but we benefited from that. Your mom and dad separated for a year and came back with a resolve to say, we're going to do it for our kids. And that's gone. There's no cultural pressure to stay married, even for the children. And we grew up in that era that was the culture of the day. And so today we have rampant divorce, even in Bible-believing circles, Um, and not just divorce, but we have weak and dysfunctional and struggling marriages. Need to be strengthened, need to be stronger, need to be brought together. And that might be you today, struggling, strained relationship with your husband or wife. Now, all of us need to be strengthened in this. It's a fundamental institution that God created as a basis of civilization, the propagation of the human race, and to pattern Christ in it. But that was the culture of the day. We have a similar thing going on today. It's not really much different. See, this is why we have a burden for the family and and teaching on it. We've seen families restored and husbands and wives strengthened. That's why we spent 10 to 12 weeks of counseling for couples considering to be married. That was the deal. Most of them said yes, and we shake the tree really hard. Are you really, really sure? We had 42 questions that we asked. We went through several books, went through key passages. The Bible became our curriculum for that. Every key passage, we went over and we rattled the tree. Are you sure? Do you understand? And, and it, it, it It worked. It was that serious to spend that much time. Before you say, I do, you can say, I don't. But once you say, I do, we're your biggest fan. And so we would work hard with them, and, and, uh, and God blessed that. But secondly, God condemned their treachery. He addressed the culture of the day. It was not a pretty picture. Divorce was rampant among the Jews. For any cause, they would leave their wife and abandon them and divorce them. And God condemned their treachery. And answer the question, was it really that bad? Yes, it was really that bad. Uh, the word he used was dealing treacherously. It's a, it's a, it's a, the word even sounds nasty. <laughs> treacherously. It means to act unfaithfully or faithlessly, uh, to cover with a garment, to act covertly. And many had done it. He pleading for the bleeding to stop. That's the word that he used. A couple things here. In verse, it was so morally reprehensible that God would not accept their worship anymore. And they couldn't understand why. He said, you say, for what reason? Look at verse 13. He said, you cover the altar of the Lord with tears. These were the the tears of the women that were divorced. They went to the altar and they wept. And the men had done this to them. And then they brought their offering, pretended everything was okay, and God rejected their offering. They say, why is that? Because you dealt treacherously with your wife. They're so blinded that they did not understand why God was rejecting their sacrifice. It was so horrendous. Uh, a good friend of mine used that word a lot, doesn't he? It's so horrendous. <laughs> it's something that no man who has even a remnant of reason or sense for right and wrong would do this. That's what it says. So he says, guard yourselves in your spirit. 
He says that three times. To guard what it means to take care of the spirit within you. That can be damaged. The spirit of a man can be damaged and ruined where it affects life itself. Guard carefully, lest your spirit of life within you be damaged beyond repair. And so I've titled this, Be Careful and Be Faithful. Guard what is right and be faithful to your spouse. And beware of losing your spirit is how you translate it. With the loss of the spiritual and moral which has been received from God, life itself perishes, Kyle and Dale said. It says later that God hates putting away. Of course he does. We'll talk about it. He just hates this. We're to leave and to cleave and to become one flesh and, and weave two lives into one. We find that in Genesis and Matthew and Ephesians, we're to stick like glue. Uh, my father-in-law was a good master carpenter. Uh, he built furniture from scratch and he would cut the wood and plane it and and and. He would join it. He had a joiner with little biscuits in between with the glue and the clamps, and he made really beautiful furniture for us every year at Christmas time. You can't break that plank where it's joined. The whole wood will split. That's the strongest point is the glue. It'll break someplace else. But once it's glued and joined, you can't break without damaging the rest. And that's what cleave means, to stick like glue, because something is damaged. Every party gets hurt when something is separated. Think of the impact on your children, the impact on other marriages. That's why God hates it. And then, and then he says something interesting here. He said uh, that, he, that you do not love your wife that you do not lo you no longer love the wife of your youth. Really? <laughs> you no longer love her. Love is the preeminent thing. Love is the permanent thing. And it's, it's, it's the essence of relationship. But how to love our wives? Everything else is details. We nourish them. We cherish them. We, we leave and cleave for them. We sanctify them. All those details under loving them. And they no longer love their wives. It's interesting. And then he says an interesting statement about between you and the wife of your youth. He appeals to the heart of the husband and said, remember when you were younger and you were married? He brings him back to those dating days when she was the love of your life. He brings them back to the, to the heart of the dating and the falling in love and, and, and getting married and all those youthful days when you had stars in your eyes and your heart would beat faster just seeing her? He said, remember that? The wife of your youth? Now that might have been a long time ago for some of us, but I still remember. We went to the same high school and the same Lutheran church and we went in the same Lutheran church choir. I was waiting for just the right woman. We were both unsaved, but God put it in our heart to look for the right person and by his grace, I found her. And, and I was drawn to her for many, she was really, really cute. Now she's just stunning and always been adorable. She wasn't like her friends who wanted a career, wanted to be a wife and a mother. She loved children. She worked at a playground in the summer and she didn't just babysit, she interacted with, she loved children. And she wasn't flighty and all this, she was stable and sound and she became like the conscience for her friend. When they, they, this just drew me to her. Did I say she was really cute too? Did I say that? That really was a part of it. And so I wanted to ask her out. And of course, guys are cowards. Right? Let's admit it. We're cowards. We need coaching. And so if I call her and she says no, we're done. I'd rather almost not know than no. But I'm just torn. My mother says, my mother is about this big. She said, you go call her. This bony little finger. Go upstairs. That's when phones were attached to the wall and were in designer colors. You know, harvest gold, you know, olive green, avocado green. See so a little, little stand beside their bed. I went and stared at the phone. I went, zing, zing. What, what, you, no, this was not, this was zing, 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 zing. I said, what if she says no? She said, oh, She'll be okay. I said, Mom, 
but every time I talk to her at choir, she runs into the choir room with her friend. She says, that's because she likes you. I said, what sense does that make? <laughs> she was right. I would come after her and her mouth would turn to cotton and, and she would run. I said, my mom, moms know this stuff. I mean, guys need coaches. And so I called her. And she said yes to a date. We went to a safe date was a movie that's rated G. Where the red fern grows was the movie. <laughs> you can't get safer than a couple of coon dogs. <laughs> and that was a big deal to me. No embarrassing stuff. And we went there and went to the movie, went back and... I kissed her on her first date. I don't recommend that, but I don't, but, but I don't regret it either. <laughs> and her biggest fear is that my mom would find out, because my mom said, watch out for those hussies at school. She said, she just think I'm a hussy. I don't think I ever told her until later. <laughs> Woo! So, so we have the date planned, and she gets her hair cut in between the phone call. That she thinks I won't recognize her. I think it's adorable. So all these goofy fears going on, and I remember those days. But I think the big thing that attracted her to me was my orange pinto. <laughs> Clipso coral is the actual color, and it was tweaked out. I mean, it had mag wheels, FM stereo radio, Eight-track under the seat, fog lights hanging from the front, a surfer foot pedal, and a round little, oh, it was, it was a hot car. Huh? And the cute little steering wheel, yes. Every time I'd drive the corner, I said, oh, there's my love. It worked. I mean, the cars can work, even if it's a Pinto. But I remember those days, and it was awkward dating, and I was a jerk a lot of the time, and I have to ask for forgiveness. My mom coached me through. I just, it's really awkward. But I remember just falling in love with her. And then I saw her walking down the aisle, and we said, I do, began our journey together. I remember the wife of my youth, and so do you. I couldn't wait to spend time with her. I worked at a shipping warehouse from 3 o'clock till 1 o'clock in the morning, Tuesday through Friday, Saturday, Sunday through Thursday, and couldn't wait to spend time with her, every waking hour to be with her. And, and, and Malachi makes an appeal. Remember the wife of your, you remember when you were madly in love with her? What happened? So he brings them back to that day when they couldn't live without each other. And something has happened. He appeals to the heart of the husband to remember the wife of his youth. And so you, you need to do that too as you go back and think about those things. He talks about covering your garment with wickedness if you divorce your wife, leaving a stain that you can somehow never get out. He repeats it three times for emphasis. That's the hard stuff. But in this passage is some corrective, this is the point, there's some corrective instruction about for all of us. He, condemn, he addressed the culture, condemned their treachery, and provides some corrective instruction on how to live out your life. Uh, they were unaware as to why God would not hear them. I don't know why, maybe they got caught up in the culture. He said, have you not read in Matthew 19? That was an insult. But nestled in here are two words. Marriage is a covenant relationship. That's the first one. This is really, really, really important. I say it again, but I think you get the point. A covenant relationship. She's your wife by means of a covenant. It is a compact, an agreement, a union of two wives, or two, 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 two people getting together in marriage. It's a union Joined together, no longer two but one. 
It's a unique kind of relationship, unlike any other. God designed it. He designed it that way, male and female. Not just a good idea, not just a societal evolution, but God designed it to be a union between a man and a woman for life. So we have to work at things that promote oneness. We're no longer too, you're no longer single. Singleness has a measure of freedom to it. And Paul extolled the virtues of that in 1 Corinthians 7. We want to be single, there's a lot of virtues. You can do this, you can come and go, and, but if you're married, then you're, you're bound to them. I was gladly bound to her, by the way. I gave up singleness for her and happy to do that. But I can't act independently of her. I am now in a union with her by covenant. You have to work hard at promoting things that produce oneness. And the scripture says, what God has joined together, let no one separate. It means people are going to try. The world's going to try to separate what God has joined together and, and separate that. That implies a watchfulness, a godly resolve. Satan's a roaring lion seeking whom he may desire. It might be another person, the pressures of the world, or your own children will work you against each other for their sinful benefit. Those little buggers. That's their old nature. And you have to expect that they're going to try. Have they tried? We, we anticipated they would. And we warned them, said, you know, if mom says no, the answer is no. Don't come to me to see if I say yes. We'll punish you for even asking us to try. And so our son tried. I heard, yeah, it's amazing what you can hear if you're listening. I'm hearing in the kitchen, hey, mom. And she said, no. He walks out, hey, dad. <laughs> I was just salivating. I just smiled. Do you talk to your mom? Yeah. What'd she say? No. What's coming? Yes. He got spanked for trying. And we knew it was going to happen. And they're such sinful little buggers, they'll pitch you against each other. They're happy with that. You can't let that happen. Sometimes it's hobbies or interests. Sometimes it's work or ministry. Sometimes it's the little foxes that spoil the vines. The little innocent-looking annoyances that get under skin, that accumulate over time, and then they, just, they burst open like a flood. And in Song of Songs, in verse, chapter 3, verse 1, says, Catch the little foxes for us that spoil the vines. The vineyard is a metaphor for a relationship between a husband and a wife, and it's blooming, and it's blossoming, and it has enemies that will spoil them. And every wild animal loves a vineyard. I know because of a family in our church in Carroll that had one. The only non-alcohol producing vineyard in the state of Iowa at the time. And every little critter loved their vineyard. And they put up fences and they put up netting. I know because we helped them. They had electric fences and there were raccoons and there were bees and there were birds. The bees would go in and they just... They'd get the grapes that were left when they were a little bit overripe, and you had drunk bees. It was just the weirdest thing in the world. They go, it was kind of hilarious. <laughs> and, and, and the raccoons, they, they would peel off the skins and eat the meat and leave it. And the birds would peck a little hole and let the rest of the thing go. It's horrible. The, the, the vineyard had enemies did everything to keep them out. And so your marriage in full bloom is like a beautiful ar aromatic vineyard. You gotta catch the little foxes like the raccoon. They would dig under the fence. The deer would jump over the fence. It's an amazing, every blossoming marriage has enemies and they're tiny and they accumulate over time. You've gotta catch them and destroy them or they'll destroy your marriage. And most of them are not really all that big. There's the little foxes, the little annoyance, the little thing get under your skin over time, and then there's a burst forward in anger. Where did that come from? Lots of little foxes. So catch them. Time for a shameless promotion. Hottest new book in Christianity? <laughs> Song of Songs for Singles and Married People Too. 
Get your copy at the Faith Bookstore. They'll mail it to you by Tim and Angela Little. Okay? It, it is a good... It's one of the only things written on this subject in our circles. And so get the book and support the book and encourage you to do it with your singles and as a couple, it'll be a great help to you. A marriage is based on promises, established on promises. What kind of promises? Well, they're voluntary promises. Uh, you hear about shotgun weddings like in uh, oh, oh, like Andy of Mayberry and Charlene Darlin and um, what's his name? The, the, something, something T. Bass. What's his name? Ernest T. Bass, right? And, and he tries to court Charlene Darlin and puts a gun to her head and none of you did that. I don't think. No shotgun wedding, no fourth. This is voluntary. You said I do of your own free will. And no one pressured you. These are voluntary promises. These are also serious promises. Require lots of thought, not acted upon quickly, but serious promises. And they are sacred promises. Interesting phrase here in Malachi chapter 2. God says, I have been a witness between you and the wife of your youth. Huh, he was there. What a great challenge last night, Pastor Steve. Prioritize the presence of God. God was there and watching when you said I do. He was there. You had guests and family and they gave all you gifts and they witnessed it. But God was the greatest witness. He was there. He watched it. He watched the whole thing. And when you said I do, he joined it together, boom, it was done. He witnessed that. It, it, the word witness means it, you did it in the face of God. He was watching, he was there. These are sacred promises. They're mutual promises. You make them to one another. With mutual obligations, they are unconditional promises. And so we say things like, richer for poorer, six in health, and... Um, better for worse. Could imagine worse because things were pretty good. Can imagine being sick because we were young. But things happen. What you said was, I will love you, whatever. That's what you said. Circumstances don't change any of that. We can be old, we can be this, we can be that. Nothing changes that. They're unconditional covenant promises no matter what happens in life, where we go, where we live, what happens. I will love you till death separates. Unconditional covenant. That's how a covenant works. And you made those promises, and I and, and and God was and your wife thought you meant that, man, when you said that. And God did too. Uh, Sandy's friends. We were married, kind of young. We were. I was nineteen. She was seventeen when we dated, and I was twenty-two. She was twenty when we were married, and a lot of her friends weren't married yet and they said so how do you know it's going to last because we were pretty sure we took it seriously and by the grace of god we took it seriously she said well number one divorce is not an option number two it's a decision to spend a life together and work hard at it and third we're going to walk through life together whatever that looks like and that turned out to be kind of biblical we didn't know it yet. But you read 1 Peter 3, to dwell with them in an understanding way, to share a life together with them, to understand them. And so we experience life. And that was the plan. Unconditional promise. So that is the covenant. But we're also in a companions for life. That's the second word, and they're both alliterated, biblically alliterated, I should say. We are companions for life. The idea of a companion, it means to join. The root means to join. It means to knit together like threads in a piece of fabric, and they're knit together like this. They're woven to make one piece of cloth, and so now you have one shirt versus many strands of a rope. It means to couple together. Now you're thinking the biggest test of a marriage is wallpapering. That's, that's easy. That's, that's a myth. 
hooking up a camper, that's the tough one. That'll test your sanctification really, really big time. I've never asked for forgiveness so much except hooking up a camper. Women give signals differently than men. And I should have known that even after instructing her, how, I don't, what does this mean? What does this, why are we going back and forth to go five feet? This, I'm confessing here publicly. I've done it to God and my wife, so I'm okay with that. And, and what, does, what does this mean? And I have no idea. And, and so I had to ask forgiveness so many times. To get coupled together was really hard. So every time we hook up the camper, she prays. <laughs> well, in all the ways acknowledge him kind of fits in. And he will direct my path. So she prays, Lord, help me to do it quickly and safely. And I, I'm getting better, not getting all angry about it. Because she's praying for me. <laughs> And so we back it up, got the signals kind of straight, and every time it goes kathump, she goes, yes! In my rearview mirror, I love that look. Every time. That'll test your marriage. You might have what tests yours. It means coupled together. That's what the rear, we're, we're coupled together for life. We have things that help stay, help keep the camper coupled together. It's, it's got a latch with a lock got stabilizing arms that kind of transfer the weight to the little exterior of the holes, our camper. We have chains, a little thing that unhooks and sets the brakes if something happens, everything to keep it coupled. So 1 Peter 3 says, likewise, husbands, share your life with them because you're sharing life together. So something, what can that look like? Number one, spend time together. Simple things. She was so adventurous that we were dating, she would go pheasant hunting with my dad and I. I was so insensitive to her. My dad is sitting in the front, heaters are blaring, she's in the back seat, windows open, freezing to death. What was I thinking? <laughs> I've asked forgiveness many times for that. And we'd ring the neck, she said, do you have to do that? Yeah, kind of, Okay. And she went, she went duck hunting with us. We had a Grumman 18-foot canoe, and it was silver, so we had a big camouflage netting put on it, and, and she showed up in a pink coat. <laughs> that was my fault. You know why she wore it? So she wouldn't get shot. That's, that's pretty good thinking. It's like blaze pink. <laughs> but she was so... We just did things together and, you know, be spontaneous and we bike together, we camp together, we kayak together, we go shopping together at furniture stores. Men, you can like, you can learn to like shopping at furniture stores. You can learn to love seasonal pillows. You read Proverbs 31? They decorate everything. And we like that. They adorn the bed coverings and their children and themselves. They like things to look nice. Otherwise, our house will look like a concrete bunker. <laughs> Learn to love it. And, and you're thinking, what's wrong with the old pillows? Nothing. It wants them to look like a different look. Maybe even seasonal plates. Like Christmas plates. We walk into Hy-Vee, they put all this stuff right when you walk in the door. She says, oh, those look nice. I said, let's get them. See, that's what a smart husband says. I've learned. <laughs> let's buy them. And our grandson Daniel, I said, Daniel, this is a big deal. Pay attention to this learning moment. When your wife says, buy the pillows, you buy them. And I like that. You can learn to love what they love, and eventually you'll start loving the same things. You spend time together. And not always fixing things, just talking. Man, you listening? We are fixers. We're designed by God to work, to fix, to solve. What's the problem? There's no problem. We just want to talk uh, and have relationship and chat about stuff and maybe not fix anything. They love the, they love the journey, they love the conversation. You can learn to do that. Don't just always be the fixer. You may not know how to fix it. You may not even want you to fix it. 
Just give her a hug. Talk. I'm serious here. Spend time just, we spend a lot of time just talking. I don't do podcasts in the car, we just talk. Spend time talking. You might need to put something on the calendar. It gets tricky when you have little kids. It's hard to find time together. You need to be creative in doing that. Put something on the calendar. Get a babysitter. And secondly, raise your kids together. I'm going to talk about that tomorrow, so I'm going to skip that today. Raise your kids together. That'll be tomorrow's subject. Number three, share your struggles together. This part of the better for worse. You're in this together. Whatever struggle comes, you're in it together. In Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 12 says, Two are better than one. And the threefold cord is not easily broken because who's going to pick them up when they fall? Who's going to keep them warm when they're cold? And we have learned that there's a benefit of being husband and wife to share something together when one of us falls. You've heard us talk about turkey hunting, which we started back in 2005, but you haven't heard why we started. I've hunted since I was 12 years old, enjoyed it, and she was okay with that. I'm not frightened by that. She loved cooking what I caught and shot, and, but uh, she wanted to go turkey hunting with me, and the thing was they're having trouble at our church, and I wasn't doing very well. I could hardly get out of bed in the morning sometimes, and struggled. I knew the scriptures, I knew what God had said, but I was struggling. She said, Lord, how can I help my husband gain some confidence back? And God impressed upon her heart to spend time with me hunting. And she said, you know, I, I want to hunt, but I don't, I, I don't want to, I want to shoot. Spent a whole summer teaching her how to shoot her Benelli M2. Actually, the first year was my dad's A70 20 gauge. I knew she was hooked when she said, what's that smell? Gunpowder. I said, oh, I like it. I knew she was hooked. And they gave me confidence back because I had fallen. She helped me get up. Something as simple as spending time with me in the field, in the woods, doing something together. is part of what God used to get me back on my feet. You share your struggles together. A side benefit is when your wife hunts with you, she can carry things a man would never be caught dead carrying with him, like a blanket. How many men carry a blanket in the field with you? My wife carries a camel blanket, and I happen to love sitting under it, uh, right at sunup is the coldest time of the day, and we kind of cuddle and hold hands, and uh, that's one of the benefits of being in together. Number four, navigate the seasons of life together. The Bible speaks of chronos, or the passing of time. It speaks of opportunities, like windows of time, like redeeming the opportunities. It also speaks of seasons of life. And you're going to grow through these seasons of life together. And sometimes I don't know what it's going to look like. There's a newly married phase, the young kids phase, and then the, the, young, the, the teenage phase, and then there's the, the later the college phase maybe, and then the empty nester phase, and then the older adult, and on and on. And we go through seasons of life. And Sandy homeschooled our kids, and she said, I don't know what I'm going to do when the kids are gone. I said, well, I don't know, but we're in this together. We'll figure it out with God's help. And so we did. God gave her a job with a consignment store, and that really helped. And then your wife's going to go through menopause. It's worse than childbirth, or at least as bad. It is bizarre. Uh, hot and cold and everything. Or God, what is going on? All the hormones kick in. She's okay with me sharing with this, right there? You okay. And, and, and she, yeah, 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 she's okay with this. And she is a strong, and her, our son has a, he has a high threshold for pain. And so she hurts, it really, really hurts. She would get, how long will your migraines last? Yeah, 31-hour migraines. And I didn't know what to do. I said, honey, I don't know how to help. And she said, you know, let's close the blinds and turn, out, turn off the lights and just read to me. I said, what? She said, I don't care. Just I want to hear the sound of your voice. So she tells me, I read to her. And sometimes like seven hours of just reading something. And that helped her get through her migraines. 
If you stop hunting in the morning, because early morning triggered her migraines, we hunted in the afternoon, and that just did better. And we just went through it together. We moved to Ankeny uh, about nine years ago, and it was a big change for her. She had her ladies at church, and her patch the pirate club, and investing in ladies, and I remember her saying, we we're out in churches uh, a little bit after that. She said, honey, I love what we do, being in churches all the time, but I really miss being with the ladies in our church and the, and the kids in our church. I'm okay with that, but I really miss investing in these ladies and kids. Two weeks later, Dr. Tillerson called and said, hey, do you want to be the dean of women? She said, yes. So God worked. You're going to have seasons of life, and all they need to know, men, is you're going to go walk it through it with them. I didn't have answers ahead of time. I said, I don't care, but we're in this together, and she was okay with that. That's all she needed to hear. We're in it together. Number five, make decisions together. A big one, this is part of Ephesians 5.21, submitting yourself to one another. I need her. I value her. I want her input. We make decisions together. When I make them independently, I make bad decisions. And sometimes she let me make bad decisions because I was the head of the house. She just let me make bad ones and let God work me over. That was really smart and very painful. She didn't bust it. Oh, okay. And I remember living in South Des Moines. I just had to have a second car. And, and she wasn't, we never talked about it. I just had this obsession to get a second car. And she said, what did you actually say to me? Yeah. Okay, do whatever you want, which doesn't mean she agrees with me. Men, listen carefully. That wasn't like, it's okay, go ahead, and God's gonna, you're going to pay for this. That's what that meant. <laughs> so I bought the car. It was a Plymouth Horizon. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed to say. What, what a junky little car. I had to replace the transmission. It cost me $1,500. That was an expensive mistake. You think I learned my lesson? No. Then I needed to get a dog. <laughs> Living in South Des Moines with 100,000 cars a day in a parcel, we needed a dog. How's that going to work? It was a guilt dog because I wasn't spending time with the kids. This is kind of, kind of cover for that. It was a guilt dog. So same answer. If you want, and she loves dogs. She said, if you want to, go ahead. And I'm still not getting it. So I buy the dog, and this, this dog was certifiably insane. And, and the owners agreed with us. They actually bought it back and felt sorry for us. <laughs> it, it was untrainable. It, was, it, it, it ate cockroaches. It was just disgusting. It's a Britney Spaniel, but it was a just, it, I thought, oh, is it terrible? But the, the key thing was that I had my air rifle sitting on a table downstairs, and it it kind of went up and pulled on the, the strap, and it broke my scope. That was it. The dog ruins your gun, the dog goes back. Now I learn. I make those decisions with her. Big and small. We make decisions together. Number six, grow spiritually together. Grow spiritually together. Part, part of my plan of not having Bible college separate our marriage was to make sure that she grew with me. This couple grew apart. He had his studies. She had the family. They said, not in my home. So when I would go to class, I come home and teach her everything I learned. Now, the benefit of that, I retain what you teach. And we grew together. She got a free Bible college education from that. And we, we grew together. I taught her everything I learned. And we grew together. We learn to apply the Word of God to life and uh, seek forgiveness when you need it. Growing spiritually is knowing how to speak with one another, to be kind and be gracious and ask forgiveness when you're not. Saying things like, how did your day go? Every time saying, I love you. Every text ends with, love you, in some way. Women never tire of that, by the way. And neither should you. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but every text, every phone call, love you, love you so much. She finds it romantic when I tuck her in the car and close the door. I'm thinking, 
okay. I mean, she's capable. She said, it's just so romantic to be tucked in the car, have you closed the door, and I get a kiss for it. I'll do anything for that. She finds it romantic. You can keep the romance alive with simple things like that. And I get it, the protective part of it, the feeling secure, tucking her in, except on the faith campus during the school year. I'll go, what parking lot are we in? Can I do this here? I've had a couple unauthorized kisses and got caught by Marty Heron once. It was terrible. I mean, what, what, he walks up and says, gotcha. It was terrible, but I didn't feel bad about it. It goes spiritually together. Husbands, you are your wife's primary teacher. Yeah. Let her learn from a husband at home. You teach her. You grow her. You sanctify her. You cherish her. The word nourish means to bring her to maturity, to feed her spiritually. She grows. So God can use her. That's what their nourish means. It's the same word, bring up children, in chapter 6 of Ephesians. And so you grow spiritually together. Number seven, we'll finish, do ministry together. We'll finish with this. Every one of us has things that we uniquely do in life and ministry. That's just part of life. It's things we can do together probably more often. And so we, we did premarriage counseling together, did evangelistic Bible studies together, discipleship together, went to funerals and hospitals and things together. We brought our kids with us in ministry everywhere we could to acquaint them. They were hardly sheltered as homeschool kids. They saw more than most kids would ever see. They saw kid, people die. They saw people get saved. They saw people in lock units. And we did ministry together. So do this together. Bring your children with you and share ministry together have people in your home, have unsafe people in your home, and do this together. We brought our kids with us on evangelistic Bible studies, and they watched the kids of the people we're working with and learned how to do this. Your companions for life, given a covenant relationship, and you ought to thank God for that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for this text some hard things going on and some hard words needing to be said. Pray for every marriage represented here this morning. Every one of us needs to be strengthened. Maybe some are struggling. Maybe some of them are strained. Father, put new life in their marriage. Remember that they're covenant companions for life. And knowing that the curse made things difficult, Christ makes everything possible. That in him we have a pattern and the power and the person who can make us have marriages that honor our Savior. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.